Well, good morning. Children may be dismissed for Children's Church. Well, we're going to get right with it today for the sake of time. We have been talking about this for the last several weeks, breaking the chains of addiction. And we talked about three weeks ago just stopping it, stopping addiction. And this is a series of spin-off that I have started. I've mentioned this before if you're visiting with us today. Well, the Lord laid this on my heart for a couple of reasons. Number one, I've been asked by a couple different groups if I would put together a 12-step um, program, uh, a spin-off of the AA program that has Christian material in it. And so I'm doing that because I just haven't taken the time to do it. If I have to do it from the pulpit, I'll do it. But the other bigger reason is that, of course, you know that my mother passed away. It's been a month and a half ago now, and she was an addict. One of the things that I mentioned this before, that people came up to me and, you know, and said, you know, your mother, you know, don't feel bad about your loss with her because she was a problem person. She was an addict. She led a bad life. And it frustrates me because I believe as human beings, as sinners, we are all addicts of something. And so we look at people that struggle with alcohol or drugs or some type of eating disorder or whatever it is, and we look down upon them and we say, I'm glad I'm not like them, yet we have our own addictions. But we want to say, you know, I don't have any. And the truth is, as Christians, we even have addictions. So we talked about what our goals were over the next several weeks. We've talked about these the last couple weeks. And I'm hoping that going through this, we are ourselves able to break some of the chains that keep us from fulfilling what the Lord has for us in our lives. Hopefully we're able to do that. The second thing is that I hope that we have a little bit of empathy, not sympathy, because sympathy, you just feel sorry for somebody. Empathy, you actually feel what they're going through. And so maybe we can look at somebody who struggles with something that's very blatant out there. Maybe it's alcohol or drugs. But we say, you know, I struggle with something like shopping. Now, that's not mine personally, but, you know, I, I am addicted to shopping. I'm addicted to eating. I'm addicted to exercise. And so I understand what you're going through. And hopefully, hopefully from this, we have some tools to help others with their addictions. Because if we were honest here this morning, most of us know that we have addictions, but we all know somebody, most of the time very close to us, who is struggling with some type of addiction in their life. As we've said about addictions, they can fall into many different categories. They are both conscious and unconscious obsessions. And as I mentioned before, and I just mentioned, that sometimes they're not necessarily the bad things. They can be good things. They can be good things on the outside, but they need to be in moderation. And now the things that are at maybe one time in our life were not bad, but now they are mastering us, they are controlling us. And what may be a struggle in my life may not be a struggle that you have in your life and vice versa. We talked about the definition of addiction and addiction is defined as being unable to stop. Even when you recognize that there are these negative consequences in your life, you believe that you are unable to stop whatever it is in your life. And it's an addiction is a pattern of behavior that you develop to deal with hurt in an unhealthy way. We've talked about that. And it's a choice of behavior that leads to bondage. So you believe you cannot stop. It's usually some type of coping mechanism that we establish when we're children because of a hurt. And now we are unable to stop. It masters us. 
And we talked about the causes of addiction. And there are three causes of addiction that start with C. The first one, I guess, from last week we found out is communism. So it's communism, Care Bears. Um, what's the first one? Chromosomes. Chromosomes is the first one. What's the second one that we have in our lives? Circumstances. And the third one is choices. And you're saying, why do we have to know these? Because if you know them, then maybe you're going to prevent yourself from getting into this. Of course, the first one is chromosomes. And I said, we can't use our genetics as an excuse, but we are bent in a certain direction from the things that we learn from our parents. The second one is circumstances. The things that we witness as a kid, how people cope with issues and problems and stress, we are bent towards those directions. And then the third one, one we don't like, is our choices. Because it was our choice to get into whatever that we are now involved with. Last week we talked about breaking the cycle of addiction. I'm not going to go through each one of those this morning, but the one thing that I want us to take away from last week, we get into these addictions because of the first step, and that is wrong thinking. We believe in our minds that if I am involved in this thing in my life, whatever that is, being more healthy, you know, having money, uh, you know, gambling, whatever these things are in our life. We believe if I'm involved in this, these things are going to make me happy. They start to control our lives. Now, we've talked that most of the time we're doing these things because we're trying to deal with some hurt in our life and we have a hardened heart because we've shut everybody else out and then we have to feel and so then we start to do these things more in our life because we become desensitized to them and then you get on this cycle and you go around and around. So today we're going to start talking about breaking the chains, breaking the cycle. And the first step is to admit. If you're going to break this, the first step of the 12-step program is to admit that you have a problem. Now, I had somebody, I've had several people over the last few weeks that have given me a hard time, you know, in just jest. And they've said, so when did you admit that you're addicted to guns? I am not addicted to guns. I'm still in the denial stage, okay? You know, and that's not an easy answer. And I will admit, I am addicted. I'm not necessarily addicted to guns, all right? I'm addicted to gear. Now, what I mean by that, that's accessories that you need to have when unforeseen circumstances come up, okay? You got to have this stuff. You know, and... The point I'm trying to make here, and I'll get towards the end, that when people are doing things in their life, most of the time there's a reason that goes back to when they're a kid. I am addicted to gear. When I was a kid, uh, I don't know when this exactly started, I carried all these things around with me, okay? And that would be all the things that I thought were necessary, like extra rope, you know, a Swiss Army knife, a canteen, a little bit of food you know, toilet paper, all the necessities that you had to have. Now, it started out as a big purse of my great-grandmother's, okay? That, didn't, that wasn't very cool. I'm talking about four years of age here. You know, it had like flowers and stuff on it. So that evolved into a backpack, and I was a little bit of a weird kid, and I had to have this backpack every place that I went. And I would freak out if I didn't have this backpack with all this stuff in it. It drove my mother insane. Well, we would go to the bar because we spent every night at the bar and when, you know, I'm thinking 
four or five years of age I was in there. I can remember this. And when people were sitting at the bar, I would go up to strangers and say, you want to see what's in my backpack? And they're like, oh my goodness. So I would get everything out, you know, and show them systematically on the bar. All the stuff in my backpack. And people were like not impressed, but I didn't care. I'm going to sell it. I'm like, you need to have this with you. And so one time, uh, there's, there's a Platte bar in North Platte. There was a guy named Red that ran the bar. And he was behind the bar working this night. And he told me, get all your toys off the bar. Now, I'm six years of age, and I am totally offended. Toys? Excuse me? Now, I didn't talk back to adults because, you know, not like it is today. I knew that the adults that I was around, you didn't talk back to. You, you'd get knocked down, okay? So I didn't say anything. I thought, toys? I tell you what, these are not toys, man. This is a Swiss Army knife here with a spoon and a fork in it. Poke your eye out. So anyway, my mother was given a 9mm handgun by a guy named Wiley Coyote. Okay, I'm serious. This is serious stuff here. His name wasn't, last name was not Coyote, but it was Wiley. And he had a Wiley Coyote here on his arm tattooed with him. Wiley Coyote, the cartoon character, lighting a dynamite stick. But anyway, Wiley gave my mother a 9mm handgun. And I was just amazed by that thing. So I thought, you know how you get some respect when you carry your backpack to the bar next time? Take your gun with you. So I went in there and I'm showing them this is my old set of binoculars and this is my 9mm handgun. And the guy that I was showing it to at the time didn't even blink an eye. Okay. And the guy sitting down there, down the bar, said, Hey, Red, the kid, that was my name at the bar all the time, the kid, the kid's got a gun. And Red came over there and he picked it up and he said, what is the matter with you? That was the question most people ask me and are still asking me today. It seemed like a good idea at the time, okay? And Red took it, went and got my mother. My mother was, you know, like, I'm sorry, you know, and uh, not officially, but she was kind of kicked out of the Platt Bar for a while. We went over to the Alamo Bar and over there for about two nights and a, a guy came up to me and said are you Claudia's boy that took a gun over the plat bar and I said yeah and he said cool <laughs> that was back in the 70s you know when you're six years old now this developed with this gun okay um, that when my mother was not home I took it out and the first time I shot it when I was seven okay now, you get addicted to it because I was only going to shoot it one time while I had one box of new shells, but that doesn't just work like that, okay? You got to shoot it more than one time. Um, the second time I shot it, I took it and I took her bottle of Aquanet. You know what I'm talking about? It was hairspray. It came in a bottle. I kid you not, it was about that big like a fire extinguisher. But it said flammable on there. I thought, you know what you could do? Light a fire around that, shoot that can. Now, it's hard to hit an Aquanet can, but I tell you, if you hit it and there's a fire around it, awesome. I would at this point I should tell you don't do this at home try it at home kids it's great but my mother went to her box of shells one day and looked and I put all the shell casing empty back in there like she wouldn't notice and she said where'd all the bullets go I, I don't know where'd my aquanet go I have no idea I had to go to Jim's Hobby Shop and buy a box of bullets for her. I'm eight years old, because she said, you're buying me a new box of bullets. I go in there, they said, how old are you? I'm eight. Okay, you want hollow points or just full mile jack? The point is, I'm trying to get at is, why did I carry everything around with me? And you don't have the answer to that, but I do. 
is because I still do that today. My, my girls call it my man bag. They don't call it that, they call it my purse. I call it my man bag. Why do I do that? Because I wanted to control the situation around me. I felt so out of control, and really what the truth was, I felt fearful. And I felt fearful as a kid of having to be the uh, responsible one. And so I believed if I took a pair of pliers and rope and duct tape and all this stuff around with me, whatever circumstances were going to happen, I was going to be in control. I was going to be able to keep my mother and I safe or do whatever I had to do. That's why I carried that stuff. Nobody ever told me to. It wasn't mild before me. I believe that in my mind, and I still do it today. And so when we go on hunting trips, uh, I will take three of every three three sets of boots, three different guns, an extra scope, all the tools to be able to fix everything. Everybody's like, why? Because I'm going to be ready for anything. And the things that your spouse or maybe somebody that you love very close to you does that drive you insane, think of it this way. It's because of hurts that they have when they're a kid. Things that happen to them and they don't even consciously recognize it, but it's things that have happened to them as a kid. And now they do whatever it is an adult, and it drives you insane, and you go, what's the matter with you? And they do it out of that. And the first step is to, of course, admit. So moving on, even though we're, we're about out of time, I just told my first story. We're going to be looking, just touching on the um, verses in Psalm, Psalm 139, verses 23 and 24. I want to say a little bit about the 12-step program. Just a little bit of history of the 12-step program because I am going to be referring to it as we go through this because I'm going to be going off the points of the 12-step. The 12-step method developed and used by Alcoholics Anonymous has its roots in Christian biblical teaching. It's the teaching of an Episcopal pastor, um, Samuel Shoemaker, and another pastor, um, Frank um, Buckman, he was a Lutheran pastor, and both of these pastors were a part of this Oxford Christian group. And it was an evangelical movement in Europe in the 20s and 30s. Now these guys had six points, and they taught people six different points. And it wasn't on alcoholism, it was on how to have a spiritual awakening. And they were some solid points that they were teaching people at this time. In 1935, there was a guy named Bill Wilson, and he started Alcoholics Anonymous. And this was after he was hospitalized in 1934 for excessive drinking. During this time, he had a spiritual experience. He came to know the Lord. He lost his desire for alcohol, and so he wanted to share this with other alcoholics, but he didn't know what as far as a program. Well, him and this guy that helped him put this together got together and, and listened to a lot of the teachings of this uh, Oxford group, this movement, and they based their steps, their 12 steps, on this teaching of this group. So it does have its roots in Christianity. The first step is that we admitted that we were powerless over our problems and that our lives had become unmanageable. The first thing is you have to admit. That's the first, if you're taking anything away from the first step today, it's the word admit. You have to admit that there's something going on. So I'm trying to break this down, and it's been difficult. I, I don't know how to do it exactly. Um, to incorporate the 12 steps of the Alcoholics Anonymous in with um, Christian biblical teaching, even though that they're the same. But I put it like this. This is the work of the first step. The first step 
towards change is that we take off our blinders and acknowledge we have a problem that we cannot solve. That's the first step. Any problem that you have in your life, and this will apply to, you know, if you're having marriage problems or problems with your kids or whatever it is, you first have to take the step to admit that there's a problem. And you have to take off the blinders and be willing to see it. It's an opportunity to face reality and admit that our life isn't working with us in control. So we're taking off the blinders, we're saying there are some things in my life that I need to change, I see some problems, and I admit that. And then we embrace the powerlessness and we stop pretending. And I'll explain what I mean there. We get to the point where we say, I'm totally powerless over this addiction, this area of my life, and I need some help. And it's really getting over self-deception because self-deception is a dangerous state of mind. You will destroy yourself and not only yourself, you will destroy people around you if you believe that you are not struggling with this stuff. When people look at, what's my theory on cats in the mirror? You know what it is. What is it? Somebody tell me. They think they're people and you take a cat, I kid you not, you take a cat and try to put it in front of a mirror and I, I test this out all the time. We got 12 of them outside. Put them in front of the mirror. They will not look at themselves. They look any place but themselves because they don't want to believe that that's what they are as a cat. I can't believe it. They're in self-denial. And people are the same way. When they look in the mirror, so to speak, and they've had an addiction, maybe it started when they were 16 or 15 and they've got into it and now they're 45 years of age. When they look at themselves most of the time, they don't see the problem because they see what they were before the d addiction had mastered them. They absolutely do not see it. It's amazing to me. I've lived with it. They don't see the consequences in their own life. I mean, my mother, and I saw this in people around her, physically, you can't deny that, physically, they died. I mean, I watched her friends die of alcoholism and drug use when they were in their 40s. Watched one guy just die on the bed, and he threw up buckets of white stuff. I don't even know what it was. Just bile or something. And he died. He was probably 43, 4, I don't know, somewhere in there because of his alcohol and drug problem. And yet, everyone denied it. Everyone denied that that's what was causing it. And so people, they don't even recognize it. And we will not be able to overcome it without first recognizing. That's the first step. If one is in a state of um, denial, then they don't see a need to change because they don't see that there's actually even a problem. And I would say the denial is the plague of our world today because we have people that are in denial about everything. About everything, whether it's our culture, you know, sexual immorality, it, it, it's just everything. We're in complete denial. We don't want to deal with it. We'll just watch, you know, American Idol and not have to deal with it. We want to keep busy. And it will affect the people around you. And then this is the bad thing, like a plague, it will infect those that are in your family and they will start living a life of denial at some point. And when we fail to acknowledge the truth, we're only deceiving ourselves. And this is our psalm today, Psalm 139, verses 23 through 24. I've shared it before. And the psalmist says, Search me, O God, 
and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. He says, God, you need to check me out. Check me out from the inside. Is there something that's wrong, something that's not pleasing to you, something that's destroying me and those around me that I can't even see? You'd better show me. And the same thing pretty much is said in Lamentations 3.40. It says there, let us examine our ways and test them in return to the Lord. Let's look at our lives. Let's test them. Let's be honest with ourselves and say, is there anything in my life that I need to change? And these are the three steps that we need to take. There's three words I want to share today. If we're going to start this journey of the first step, and we've got to do this one, otherwise we're not going to move on, we have to admit. And that is to recognize the existence, the reality of truth of something. That's, no matter what I believe, the reality is that I have an issue, I have a problem. My mind, when I look in the mirror of my life, I don't think that I have an issue, but there's been people for the last 25 years, the last two years have been telling me that I have an issue of this in my life. And more importantly, not even what people tell you, what the Spirit of God has been telling you. Now see, this is where it gets really difficult because what I'm trying to do is to take this and, and change it into a secular teaching, and that's what they've done. And I tell you, for people who don't know the Lord, who aren't indwelled with the Holy Spirit, it's hard to take this first step to even see it. Because they don't have the discernment. And the first step is just this looking at ourselves in the mirror of our lives, so to speak. And we see the seriousness of our condition and the reality of the consequences. And we recognize the way that we've been living has brought us to the end of our rope. And that means that we have to be honest with ourselves. We have to actually be honest with ourselves and tell ourselves the truth. I've got an issue with this in my life. Proverbs 28, 13 says, People who cover their sins will not prosper. But they, if they confess and forsake them, they will receive mercy. God says, just be honest with yourself. God says, I already know. You just need to be honest with yourself. The first one is admit. That's the first step. You've got to admit the second step is to be humble. And this is a very difficult one. Because it means admitting defeat. It's saying, I need some help in my life. I have admitted at this point that I have some issues. And now I need to humble myself to say, I need some help because this is whooping me. It's beating me up. It's winning constantly. And I admit that. And that means that you alone are admitting that by yourself that you are powerless. You're saying, God, I admit this is an issue. It's defeating me, and I cannot deal with it in and of myself. I'm not strong enough. And then we need to see a need for a new direction because our lives became unmanageable. You know, with guides, it's hard to ask for directions, for new directions. Because why? Because it might hurt your pride in some way. You know, guys are nothing but growing up, I don't know, little, I don't know, five-year-olds are like little men, or you could say that, like, you know, men are like five-year-old little boys. I don't know how you want to think of it, but they're about the same. And it's funny when you see a little boy of five years, like I mentioned before, six years of age, you know, I was, and I was offended because some other man told me my stuff was toys. And we start to get into this pride mode very young, 
in our lives. And it's hard for guys to admit that we don't know what we're doing and that we're not in control and we need some directions. But that's the first step. You admit that you're lost and then you say, I need some help here. Because it's humiliating. It's absolutely humiliating to admit that we are powerless. Especially if we have lived our lives like we're in control or we think that we're in control. We think that we're in control, we're not. But I think I've taken care of this in my life. I think I'm managing it. I think nobody else knows that I have problems. Hi, I, I got some issues, but hey, that's just me. And we have to humble ourselves. Some of the wrong thinking that comes along with humbling ourselves is with the churches that we think to admit pains and problems is contradicting our claim to salvation. What I mean by that is that people who struggle in their life with addictions and we hide them, all Christians do is they just hide their addictions a lot better than the world does. Because they believe because they have been taught wrongly that Christians don't have problems in their life, they don't have struggles, they don't have pains, and if you do, there must be something wrong with you. Walking with the Lord, you need to go more Bible studies, listen to more Christian radio, go to church, solve the problem. And that's not true. That's not real life. That's not reality. Even Paul says in Romans chapter 7, verses 14 through 19, I've got part of it there, and I'm just going to paraphrase it there. That Paul says, You know, I know what I need to do, but what I shouldn't be doing, I do. What I know that I should be doing, I don't do. I struggle because I know what's right, but there's this sin nature in me that wants to do what's wrong. I struggle with that. And you will read commentaries and they'll say, well, that's Paul before he came to know the Lord. Absolutely not, if you read it in context. I will argue with you commentaries. This is Paul after he came to know the Lord. He still had struggles. He still had problems. The fact that we feel pain from our past is not a sign of a failed relationship with God or does not lessen the impact of our salvation in our lives. What it's doing is a signal that we need on a daily basis to go through this process of having God help us heal in our life. That's all it's doing. And if you never admit that you're sick or that you have a problem and you try to cover it up, how are you going to start to heal? Go into the doctor and he says, you have cancer. No, I don't. Yeah, we need to start this process. No, I don't have cancer. Yeah, but I've got all these tests. No, I don't have it. I don't have it. I've got x-rays. I don't care. I don't have it. I don't have cancer. I'm just going to go home and pretend that it's just fine and not do anything because it's not real. I don't have any problems. Six months, six years later, whatever that cancer is, it will kill you. And it's the same thing in our lives, and we deny it. Which leads us to the third and final word, which is stop. First you have to admit it, then you have to humble yourself, and then you get to the point where you stop. And that is you stop the roller coaster ride. Because maybe you're somebody in whatever you're struggling with in your life that on this roller coaster ride is, whoa! There are times that are scary, but there are times, you know, there's kind of the lull in the roller coaster and, you know, you're kind of just coasting along. You're like, this isn't too bad. But then you go through a big dip and you're like, oh, I don't want that to ever happen again. Ah, I'm not scared now. Because you maintain out. And it's getting to the point where, you know, 
it's not maintaining anymore. It's just up and down. And you say, I'm tired of the up and down. I'm stopping the roller coaster. And that means that you have to put an end to your own efforts. However you've been dealing with it, lying about it, covering it up, you know, having others help you, whatever. Maybe you've just been strong enough to be able to say no to it sometimes, but you're realizing that that is not working. The other thing is that you have to stop finding excuses for our choices. We can't be blaming other people. We can't be blaming our circumstances. We can't be blaming our chromosomes. We can't be blaming anyone but ourselves and our choices. And then give yourselves the permission to stop. At this point, you've humbled yourself, hopefully, and you say to yourself, you know, self, you need to stop. You really, really need to stop. You need to stop what you're doing. And that means that you might have to give yourself an excuse or a reason. It might be excuses. You know, when we don't want to do something for somebody or something that's been asked of us, what do we say? Oh, I'm sorry, you know, I've uh, I got to walk my elephant that night, I'm sure. We come up with these good excuses because we don't want to have to hurt somebody's feelings. We don't want to have to deal with the situation, the consequences of all that. So maybe you need to just, if at this point, just have an excuse with yourself and just say, self, you're going to have to quit doing this because uh, I got something else to do that night. If that's what it takes, hopefully you're telling yourself the truth. But even at this point, if you say, you've got to quit doing this because if you don't quit doing this, you're going to destroy yourself physically. If you don't quit doing this, you're going to lose your spouse. If you don't quit doing this, you're going to destroy your children. Hopefully you're that honest with yourself, but if not, you need just to say, I can't do it. I'm just sorry, self, I can't do it anymore. And we admit that our lives have been and will continue to be unmanageable if we insist on living by our own will. Because really what it is, is insanity. And I've shared this many times before. Insanity by definition is repeating the same action over and over again and expecting different results. And we live our lives like we're going to be able to keep doing it. And yes, I'm, I'm, yeah, maybe I got some issues, but it's going to change. But we keep doing the same program. We keep doing the same thing and we expect it's going to turn out different. It's never going to turn out different. The only way it's going to turn out different is it's going to get worse. And I want to end with saying this, it's a heart condition. And the sad reality is that you cannot help someone who does not want to be helped. If someone doesn't want to see and admit that they have a problem and it's managing their life, controlling them, they are slaves, they don't want to admit that they are powerless, there's nothing that you can do. Absolutely nothing. Because we first have to realize that for us to go forward in our change, we have to surrender to the Lord. But to surrender means that we have to admit defeat and say, I, I don't know what I'm doing. It's interesting, as the Lord moves among us, I believe the one question that he's asking is, who wants to be healed? I take this from the story in John chapter 5, verse 6, and... For the sake of time, I'm not going to go into the complete story, but you've got a guy who is ill. He has some type of physical problem for 38 years, Scripture says. Christ went to this pool. They had these sick people that hung out around this pool, and there was a bunch of them, it says in Scripture, in Bethsaida. And Christ went there, and there was one guy that Jesus walked up to, and he asked him the one question, do you want to be healed? 
And I wonder, now see, this is me in Scripture. I've read commentaries. Why did Jesus ask that one guy? There was a ton of them there. Yet he went to the one guy and he said, one question, do you want to be healed? I think it's because Jesus saw his heart. I believe that this guy was at the point that he was going to trust in the Savior. He was willing to do anything. Now he started to come up with an excuse as why he couldn't be healed. And Jesus said, pick up your mat and walk. That's it. I don't want to hear any excuses. I don't want to do... I just want to know, are you, are you willing to be healed? That's it. Are you willing? I'm probably getting old and crotchety and pretty negative, but it's been my experience that most people have not reached the place of this man in John chapter 5. Most people do not realize that they have this issue in their life. They don't even see it, first of all. And even if they maybe see it, they're not going to admit that it's a problem because I'm going to continue to maintain and cover up and keep what I'm doing in my life. And the problem is that they are not helpless enough at this point in their life. They haven't hit rock bottom. They have not realized that their need or God's plan for them in their life they're not ready to admit that they cannot make it on their own. And it's really their will against God's will. I've mentioned this before, and the reason why that I'm doing what I'm doing is because I got to a point in my life where, as Scripture, we talked about the Beatitudes to be spiritually bankrupt, to be poor in spirit. That's the first step, if you remember it. You get to the point where you say, I, I don't really have anything. Uh, I got some major issues, and I am totally powerless. This is why that the 12 steps impressed me, because this is the biblical start. And unfortunately, most people don't even get to that point. Because with the heart condition, you've got to be convinced that you need to change. I can't do that. I can help them that. Your family can't do that. You have to believe it. I like this quote out there. It says, Some people will change when they see the light. Others change when they feel the heat. Some people come to a come to Jesus moment and they say, Wow, I need to start changing my life. And some people will only start to change when it, they are pushed in a corner hard. And they start to feel the heat. Either way, hopefully that they'll start to admit, because you would know as well as I do if you've been on this earth very long, people will be pushed in a corner until they are absolutely dead. Physically, maybe. Spiritually, yes. They still won't admit it. And so each week I want to put together a prayer. Now, it's not this magical wand prayer that's going to change your life. It's, once again, the heart condition. But this is a heart condition that we need to have. It's saying, Dear Lord, I admit that my life is unmanageable when I try to control it. I admit that I am powerless over my addiction. Help me this day to understand the true meaning of being powerless. Remove from me all denial of my addiction. Give me the willingness to submit to the process. And it's coming to a point where you say, I admit that there's a problem. I understand I'm powerless. So the question I leave you with today, are you willing to be honest with yourself and 
here's the word, admit your situation, and then recognize that you are powerless to fix your situation on your own. Because if you can just photograph that one word there, the first step is to admit. Help me out here, just say it with me. The first step is to what? Admit, that's the first step. And it's admitting that I am powerless in my life. And if you will do this with your marriage, problems with your kids, with your finances, whatever it is that you're struggling with, that's the first step. I tell you, it's, it's probably 50% of the battle here. The first step is just to admit. Let's close the word of prayer. Lord, you know us as people. You know what we struggle with as we sit here this morning. It's amazing to me as people how we can lock our heels in and we can say that we don't have an issue. We try to cover it up. Lord, you know that we are only deceiving ourselves. That's the only person that we're really, we're really deceiving. Everybody else knows. And so, Lord, I pray that we get to the point where we admit that we have whatever the struggle is in my life, that we don't say it's just me or circumstances in my life or it's just who I am because of my family, but it's because of my choices. After we admit that we have an issue, then we need to humble ourselves and say, I'm powerless over this, and I'm going to choose to stop. Lord, this is where it comes in. It's only done by your spirit. Because in of ourselves, we can't do that. Lord, we thank you that you love us enough that uh, even though that you know that we're going to carry out these things in our life, you still so chose to send your son and you still choose to love us, even though when we're going to make mistakes. And you never, as a good father, say, what's the matter with you? You say, do you want to be healed? And so, Lord, I pray that we would be people that would say, I want to be healed in our lives. Give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. Before we close today, um, Russ and Lori want to end with a song. First of all, I'd like to thank JC this morning for that sermon and all the good sermons that he does. I think we ought to give him a hand because I know all this hits home. Thanks, JC. And I know I had a situation a few years ago that um, I had to get down on my knees and admit that I had an issue. And um, I know I still am growing. And it wasn't until I actually got down on my knees and said, hey, I'm powerless and I need your help, Jesus. And got up that day and I haven't had smoked a cigarette since. It was many, many years ago. Anyway, um, I don't know about you, but throughout the week, some of these songs stick in my mind, and I, you'll go to bed at night, and do you ever wake up with a song kind of still playing in your mind? So I'd like to stick this one in your head today so that maybe throughout the week it keeps popping in and you'll find yourself singing it. If everybody wants to stand. We rely upon the Oliver Chain Breaker, and in him we are a new creation. We Grateful are a new for creation. That. You guys know this one now because we sang it earlier. No more in condemnation Here in the grace of God I stand My heart is overflowing My love just keeps on growing 
here in the grace of God I stand. And I will praise you, Lord. I will praise you, Lord. I will sing of all that you have done. A joy that knows no limit, a lightness in my spirit. Here in the grace of God I stand I am a new creation No more in condemnation Here in the grace of God I stand My heart is overflowing My love just keeps on growing here in the grace of God I stand And I will praise you, Lord Yes, I will praise you, Lord And I will sing of all that you have done A joy that knows no limit A likeness in my spirit here in the grace of God I stand And I will praise you, Lord I will praise you, Lord And I will sing a joy that knows no limit, a likeness in my spirit, here in the grace of God I stand. I will praise you, Lord, I will praise you, Lord, I will sing of all that you have done.